0: years ago, uh, before Sydney and I had the joy of starting Ethos with some of our close friends, we were part of a church here in Nashville, about 10 minutes away from downtown. Great church. We love that church. We were there for about seven years. And remember this one morning in particular, we were there, we were were in our early 20s, just kind of an ordinary Sunday morning. If I had to be honest, I probably showed up that day with uh, you know kind of low expectations I wasn't expecting anything out of the out of the ordinary but that morning God just met me in a really kind of unusual way and so you know we're sitting there in the pews we just had our time of worship and instead of the the pastor getting up to share a message like he normally would, uh, a guest speaker hopped up there and he had this this young man that he led up to the front with him that he's getting ready to interview and what grabbed my attention was immediately I could tell this young man, uh, was blind and I didn't know any of his story. And they began to tell us that he had been born blind. And and the the whole service that morning was was this this older gentleman interviewing this younger guy about what he had learned about God, what he was experiencing in life as a young man that had been born blind. And there's so much just absolute gold that was shared that morning. But I, I'll never forget one question in particular. This this older gentleman who was interviewing him asked him a simple question. He said, "What is your favorite hobby? Like like what do you love to do more than anything else?" And this young man, I mean, he just he just kind of lit up with joy. He said, my favorite thing to do is to ride around in my friend's ski boat. Now, I don't know what I expected him to say. I don't know what hobby I expected him to say he loved to do, but that wasn't it. I'll just say, like, that kind of caught my attention. I, I leaned in a little bit. And... And he begins to describe why he loved riding in his friend's ski boat. He talked about the way he loved to feel the wind blow through his hair and the sunshine on his face and the sound of laughter as his friends were skiing and the sound of water running past the boat. And he went on to describe it in just such vivid, like unbelievable detail. And I remember sitting there that morning in that auditorium of this church surrounded by people that I love, listening to this young um, kid that had been born blind tell tell uh, very vividly uh, his story and how much he loves being in a ski boat. And I thought, man, isn't it just like God to use a young boy who had been born blind to open my eyes to the reality that so often I go through my day without really seeing? I thought, isn't that like God to, to take this unexpected moment and to, to open my eyes in an unexpected way through a kid that had not really seen the world like I had seen it, yet he had this way of seeing it better. And I was reflecting on that this week, you know, as we've been reading through Acts together. You get to Acts chapter 28, and Paul has been on this unbelievable journey. We've been following him week after week after week. And it struck me as we get to Acts chapter 28, he's in chains. He's, he's in house arrest awaiting trial. You know, all of his freedoms and privileges, at least from our perspective, have been taken away. And I thought, man, isn't it just like God to use a man in chains to show me what it looks like to live a life of freedom? And I had that same feeling this week as I was reflecting on Acts 28 as I did years ago, sitting in that church, listening to that young man kind of tell his story. And I want to start this morning by actually ending at the very end of the chapter. And we're going to, we'll work our way backwards, but we're going to start in Acts chapter 28. Look at verse 30 with me. It says, For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house. He's under house arrest, under chain. And he welcomed all who came to see him, and he proclaimed the kingdom of God and he taught about the Lord Jesus Christ, listen to this, with all boldness and without hindrance. Without hindrance, that's the, that's the phrase that just like jumped off the pages at me earlier this week as I was reading this, I thought, man, without hindrance? Like, are you kidding me? Like, that's the description. That's what the Holy Spirit led Luke to write as he was describing the ministry of Paul, that in this season when he couldn't go to the synagogues, when he couldn't stand on a public platform and preach, when he couldn't go and visit his friends, when he couldn't go to the marketplaces, when he was confined to his house in chains, waiting his trial, like the description of what God was doing in his life and through his life was that he had a ministry that was unhindered. And as I read that, I thought, man, God, isn't it like you to show us how to live a life of freedom from a guy that didn't have some of the freedoms that we have? And this morning, you know, we find ourselves a year into this crazy time where so many of our lives have felt hindered. So much of our ministry has felt hindered. We can't go the places we used to go the way that we used to go. We can't do the things we used to do the way that we used to do those things. And yet, I think the Holy Spirit is inviting us this morning to say, hey, maybe your convenience has been hindered, but the mission of God certainly hasn't. And if you're interested and if you're willing to be used by God, the story of God's going to flow through your life. And so, you know, we've, we've been on this journey over the last month together. We've been going through the book of Acts. You know, week one, we were in Acts chapter one. We talked about the way that Jesus made this huge promise. He said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And you're going to be this empowered church to be my witnesses wherever you go. And the book of Acts has proven that promise to be true. We read over the next seven days, you know, through Acts chapter 2 and 3 and 4 and 5 and 6 and 7. We got to Acts chapter 8 on week 2 together. We talked about not just what it means to be an empowered church, but to be a church that's empowered as we're scattered. And Joshua talked about what it meant to be a scattered church living faithfully into the mission. And then as we kept reading together into week three, Aaron stood up and he, he taught about what it means to be a culture-shaping church that doesn't just kind of sit on the sidelines and, and wait for God to do something great and hope that God does something great, but we roll up our sleeves and we get in the midst of what God's doing and we expect for God to move in mighty ways among us right here and right now. And then last week, you know, as we were in Acts chapter 21 together, Brandon gave us a great word about what it means to be a self-giving church that really cares way way more about what we can leverage our lives for on behalf of others as opposed to what it's going to cost us. And we come to the end of Acts chapter 28 today as we talk about what it means to be an unhindered church. And what you're going to notice is as these early Christians lived into this empowered, scattered, culture-shaping, safe, self-giving reality, that it actually cost them a whole lot. That to be an empowered church, a scattered church, a culture-shaping church, a self-giving church is so often not going to feel like a revival at a worship night in an arena downtown. So often it's going to feel like prison and beatings and rejection. And you follow Paul's life as we've read the last couple of days together, and it's been shipwrecks. It's been snake bites, It's been anything but easy. And yet Luke looks at what's happening, and he says, and yet the mission of God was unhindered. And what I believe is, is that the Holy Spirit of God is inviting you and I right here and right now to not just sit back and to study this story, to not admire it, to not just love it, to not just talk about it, but to live it. And the invitation is, do you have the humility to let a man in chains this morning teach you what it looks like to live free? as we walk out the gospel together. And so there's all this stuff that begins to bubble up as we read through Acts chapter 28 this morning and you know there's just kind of five pictures of what it means to be an unhindered church that I want to just draw out. We'll draw them out pretty quickly. Uh, if you were going to make your own list, I'm sure you'd add some more to it. In fact, I I would encourage you today after the teaching to get out the scriptures and to read it for yourself and to go, "Okay, Lord, what does it look like for me to actually live this out?" But for those of you that like to take notes, we'll start with with number 1, to be an unhindered church. To be an unhindered church means that we are a people who trust the promises of God even when the circumstances of our life look rather bleak. Like, we are the types of people that put our hope, that put our trust, that put our energy in what God has spoken to be true, even when all the circumstances around us kind of come crashing down. And you see this in verse 14. I love this moment, at the end of verse 14, there's this simple phrase that Luke records. He writes this down, and I don't know if you write in your Bibles or underline in your Bibles, but you should underline this phrase. It says, and so we came to Rome. You know, Maybe you're sitting in a living room somewhere with someone this morning, you can just look at them and go, that's the part of the verse that he wanted to draw out so they (laughs) came to Rome? I know it just seems like a throwaway line, I'm just telling you, there's nothing in the scripture that's wasted. Nothing in the scripture that's wasted. And they came to Rome, not because they had planned a vacation. You know, Paul wasn't there to check out the Colosseum. He wasn't there to eat gelato. He wasn't there to take some great pictures and post them on his Instagram account. Paul came there in chains. He was arrested years earlier. He had been passing his way through the judicial system. And now he finds himself coming to Rome, awaiting the trial that he had actually pleaded that he would be given the chance uh, to have. It'd be like you passing through the lower court system saying, hey, my last shot is in front of the Supreme Court. He's passed all the way up to high. He's come in to Rome. But I want you to notice this. He hasn't come there by his plans. He's come there on the promises of God. You know, at the very beginning in Acts chapter 1, Jesus looked at his disciples, these guys that had never traveled more than 60 miles from the place that they were born, and he said, hey, I'm going to give you power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And to his original audience, those first century Jewish men and women, when they heard that phrase, the ends of the earth, they certainly did think the ends of the earth, but that was a catchphrase to talk about the Roman Empire. And in their minds, they would have gone, whoa, you're telling us the gospel's going to Rome? The gospel's going to Rome, Jesus said the gospel is going to Rome, the center of kind of power and privilege and prestige in your moment. That's where it's going. But it wasn't just a general promise that Jesus had made to his earliest followers, it's a promise that Jesus had made to Paul himself. If you remember a few days ago as we were reading together in Acts chapter 23, Paul's in prison. The circumstances of his life are bleak. They're falling apart. Things don't look good. And Jesus shows up. It says, the Lord came and stood right beside Paul in that moment of suffering that God drew near to him. He said, hey, Paul, good news. You're not going to die here in this prison. He says, you're going to make it to Rome, and you're going to get to testify there as well. Paul's life was marked not just by his plans or his desire to do something great for God. He rolls into Rome in verse 14 because he's walking in the promises of Jesus. And it's been a, a crazy year. It, it's been the kind of year where the circumstances all around us have shifted. Things have fallen apart. Dreams, are, uh, for many of us, have kind of felt like they're dying. Things that maybe you plan to do haven't, haven't come through. Maybe some of the things that you've longed for have not come to pass. And I just want to tell you, whatever it is that God spoke to you in the dark, one day you'll see it in the light. You can bank your life. You can bet your life on the promises of God, not just the general promises of God for humanity, but the things that he said to you, the things that he's spoken. And I believe part of the reason you get to the end of Acts and you see Paul just living this bold, unhindered kind of ministry is because his life was not shaped by his circumstances. It was anchored in his promises. So part of being an unhindered church means we trust in the promises of God even when life looks bleak. If you take notes, the second thing that I want you to notice it's not just that we trust in the promises of God, secondly, an unhindered church knows like deep in our spirit that gospel community is an essential reality, not just a supplemental reality to our Christian faith, you know. Uh, before 2020 hit, if we're really honest, especially those of you that live in Nashville, uh, for a lot of us it was really easy to treat gospel community like a supplemental thing, you know, okay, I, I want to receive a good teaching, I need good worship, you know, I want to have a good, a few good friends, but to really live, like, in community with people that know you and you know them, that pray together, serve together, uh, meet one another's needs before 2020 kind of hit, a lot of us lived as though that was a, a supplemental reality to what God was doing. But man, over the last years, we've been scattered. As things have felt tough at times, as as you and I have experienced loneliness in, in new ways and, and and the scattering, there's been this thing that's bubbled up in so many of us where we go, man, this isn't a supplemental reality. This is essential. This is essential. Like if we want to live out the mission of God in an unhindered way, we need each other. And I love this moment. Look at verse 15. It says, they came to Rome, verse 15, and the brothers and the sisters there had heard that we were coming, and they traveled as far as the forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. Listen to this. And at the sight of these people, Paul thanked God, and he was so encouraged. He says, when Paul saw these people, he turned to God. He said, God, thank you. Thank you that you've sent these brothers and these sisters. And it says, in his heart, he was encouraged. To be encouraged means that someone, literally with their presence, has given you courage. That's what it means to encourage, that you give someone courage. Their presence gave him courage. You know, sometimes when we think about Paul, we have this tendency to put him on a pedestal to make him kind of a superhero, you know, a biblical character with a cape on who doesn't feel things, that's not hurt, that doesn't ever struggle with his faith or doubt. I'm just telling you, Paul was a human being just like you and I. He was a sinner saved by grace, called by God to be a part of a great story. But I'm telling you, he wasn't a lone ranger. He couldn't do it on his own. All throughout the writings, over and over and over, you see Paul surrounded by people. Jesus, the Son of God, like I love one of the first things that Jesus does in his earthly ministry is he gets a crew of people to do life with him because Jesus knew that in order to fulfill the mission that God had given him, he needed people around him. See, in the kingdom of God, if we're going to live as unhindered witnesses to what God is doing, it's not just that we trust the promises on our own in the private places of our life. That's a good thing. It's that we understand in the depth of our being that community is non-negotiable. It's essential that we need each other. I need you, and I believe you need me, and we need each other. And that sometimes just showing up and seeing each other in a hard time literally injects courage into the heart of the person that we're with. You know, my, my parents, they have the joy of pastoring a church in Charleston, South Carolina. I love that church. It's where so many of my spiritual foundations were formed. And like so many churches, like our church here in Nashville this season, it's been a tough year for them. And there's this one moment back in the fall where my dad was just kind of lamenting how hard it had been to see people he felt like so many things had been hindered. So many things had been taken away. And then one day he and my mom were talking. They said, you know what? They said, we can't do what we used to do, but that doesn't mean we can't do anything. And so they came up with this idea. They said, hey, what if we just made bread a few times a week and we went and delivered it to people in their homes? Like, we haven't seen them, but we could go see them. I thought, Dad, that's kind of fun. You know, you used to, used to feed people kind of their spiritual daily bread. And here you are, you're literally de- delivering physical bread. And he said, you know, they'd show up at the house and sometimes they'd not get past the porch. Sometimes they would be able to come inside, but they thought, man, just seeing these folks allowed us to give them strength. And honestly, when we'd show up and see their faces, it gave us strength because gospel communities need it. You know, for some of you, I'm just telling you, you've, you've sat around a whole year and you're waiting for somebody else to fix that communal challenge for you. I just want to encourage you, you make the first move. Who's the person you need to call up today and just show up at their house? Who's the person today that you just need to go see, that you need to go encourage, that you need to to strengthen, like your presence will fill their heart with courage? It's part of the way we live unhindered lives. For some of you, maybe it's not that you need to go see someone, it's that you need to let someone in, whatever your story is, whatever your story is. We live out this unhindered reality as we trust the promises of God, as as we trust that gospel community is not just supplemental, but that it's real. And number three, if you're taking notes, we we live out this unhindered reality when we make the decision to be willing to do our part and trust God with all the rest, where we say, God, hey, we'll do what you've called us to do, and then we'll trust you with all the outcomes. Look at verse 17 with me. Actually, go back to verse 16. I love this. It says, when we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. So he's not there in this Airbnb. He's not hanging out. He's not, he's not chilling. He's saying, hey, I'm here on house arrest. Look at this verse 17. It says, and then three days later, three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. When I read that earlier this week, I literally laughed out loud. I'm like, three days. I mean, Paul doesn't take, uh, you know, a month to kind of get his feet under him. You know, he doesn't take a couple of months to, to kind of recover after the trauma of being in prison and beaten and shipwrecked and snake bitten and all the stuff that's happened to him in the stories right before this one. It says he gets to his rented house, he's chained up to a guard, and he takes three days. He takes three days, and you go on to, to read, and I love this, Paul knew he couldn't go to the synagogues or the marketplace. He couldn't get on a public platform, but he knew what he could do, and what he could do is he could open his home. He could open his life. He could open his heart. He could open the scriptures. He could send out an invitation. He knew that's what he could do. And so Paul made this commitment, just like he'd done the rest of his time as a follower of Jesus. He said, hey, God, I'll do what I can do, and then I'm gonna trust you with the rest. Hey, I'm gonna show up for duty, and then I'm going to trust you to come through. And what Paul knew is that the, ultimately the, the outcomes, they weren't up to him. And so you keep reading, look down at verse 23 and 24. It says, so these folks that he had invited, they showed up on a certain day and they came in even larger numbers to the place where Paul was staying. And he witnessed to them from morning until evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. So he takes the Old Testament He's teaching them about Jesus. Listen to this, verse 24. Some of them were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. And I, I just love this picture. Paul knew that God had never called him to manage the outcomes. God had just called him to walk in obedience, to do what he could do, to trust to trust the Lord with all the rest. And so Paul opens his home and his heart and the scriptures, and he brings these folks in. And he just begins to teach the Word. And some of them received it well, and some of them didn't. It's what Jesus promised, you know, when he, he shares that parable. He says, you're like a farmer, and you throw a seed out. And sometimes the seed falls on good soil. Sometimes it doesn't. That's not up to you. Your job is just to do what you can do and to trust God with all the rest. If you're anything like me, you know, sometimes I sit, sit around so much, like, wanting to manage the outcomes that I never take the first step. And I end up uh, robbing myself of the joy of watching God work through me if I would just make the simple commitment to do what He's called me to do and to trust Him with the rest. You know, earlier this week, I was having a conversation with a guy who over the last month, he and his family have just been set on fire by God, kind of in the midst of this fast. God's been speaking to them. He's been moving through their lives. And so my buddy calls me, and he says, hey, we don't know what to do next, but here's what we're going to do. He says, we're going to open our home, and we're going to have a Bible study. He said, we've never really led one before. We don't know how it's going to go. We don't know who's going to show up, but we're going to do it. And I'll never forget what he said. And he says, and we believe that God is going to bless the desire of our heart to be used by him for something good. Man, isn't that true? I go, what does it look like to, to be an unhindered person? You know, our lives are anchored in the promises of God no matter the circumstances around us. We know that community is not just a supplemental thing, it's an essential thing. And we make this commitment that we will do what we can do and we trust God with all the rest. If you're a note taker, number four, to be an unhindered church means we understand that sometimes the truth of Jesus is gonna get us in trouble. It's gonna cause some problems, but ultimately we believe that the truth of Jesus is the power of God to set sinners free. But to be an unhindered church, it means that we understand that that the truth of Jesus at times is going to put us in some difficult situations. You know, for Paul, speaking the truth of Jesus literally put him in prison. Speaking the truth of Jesus literally got him beaten. For some of you, speaking the truth of Jesus will make things uncomfortable with your friend group. Speaking the truth of Jesus will make things tough at work. Speaking the truth of Jesus will put you on the outside of your family. For some of you, speaking the truth of Jesus will cost you, and I love this moment. Being an unhindered church doesn't mean that you're never an uncomfortable Christian. To be unhindered doesn't mean you're, un- that doesn't mean you're always comfortable. You comfortable. Sometimes being unhindered means you're very uncomfortable, and yet God shows up in the midst of that as well. Uh, I love this moment. You know, Paul has preached. He's opened his home. It says, some believe, some didn't. Look at verse 25 with me. It says, after a sermon, they disagreed among themselves, and they began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, you'll be ever hearing, but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts. And turn to me so I'd heal them. I don't know what you felt when that was read over us earlier, what you felt when you just read that right now, but I go, here's Paul, this guy that's been put in prison because of his commitment to speak the truth of Jesus no matter the cost. This truth has gotten him into some messes. This truth has gotten him into this mess. And here he's invited these folks in, and he's speaking the message again. And when they turn away, when, when they reject, he goes, hey, let me just come with one last word. And he doesn't come with the simple encouragement. He doesn't come with a simple pat on the back. He comes with the unwatered down, unfiltered, like gospel truth. Like he goes, "Here's the truth of what's going on." He says, "Your hearts are hard. Your eyes are closed. Your ear, your your ears are stuffed up." And he says, "And unless you deal with that reality, God can't heal your heart." It was not a seeker sensitive, like like heartwarming, friendly message. But Paul knew that the truth that had gotten him in the mess was ultimately the truth that would set his listeners free if they receive it. You know, years ago, there's this story uh, that went viral on Reddit, maybe you saw it. It was a story of this, this young guy that had found these coins in a journal that had been left behind by his great-grandfather who served in World War I. He was, he was from Belgium, and he was in the Belgian military. And the story goes like this, that his great-grandfather, before he left his house for the war, was given a stack of coins by his father. He said, if you need bread, if you need something to drink, uh, you'll have this so, so you'll never be hungry and so this 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 man in the Belgium army put put uh, these uh, in the Belgian army put these coins in his pocket and he he was at war and uh, one night when he was in the midst of battle, he's trying to sneak up on the enemy and those coins rattled, they made a noise and the guy that he's trying to sneak up on heard him turned around and shot him in the chest. He fell over and he thought he was about to die. you know that's what happens when you get shot in the chest. He thought this was the end. And he begins to feel around. He realizes he doesn't feel any blood, and he feels those coins that were in his pocket. And I love this picture of these coins uh, that this young man found along with his great-grandfather's journal. You can see these these coins. The bullet goes through the first few coins, and it stops at the very last coin. And what was so beautiful about this to me is this this young man's great-grandfather. These coins, the noise that they made were the very thing that had gotten him into the mess. But they were the things that saved him in the midst of it. I kept thinking about this week, and I was just thinking about the, the gospel message that Paul was constantly preaching, the truth of Jesus, that, that sometimes he'd speak the words of Jesus, and it would be the noise that would rattle that would literally cause everybody to turn on him. But he knew that this message that had gotten him in the mess was the message that would save him through. And ultimately, at the end of the day, Paul knew that even when the words were hard, that it was the truth of Jesus that would set his listeners free. It's the truth of Jesus. Like the, the the truth of the gospel was was the thing that brings life. He actually believed the words that he would later write to the church of Rome, Romans chapter one verse sixteen, where he says the gospel is the power of God to save lives. Like he knew that even when it wasn't received well, even when it wasn't taken taken in easily, that it would be the thing that would turn around the heart. I remember years ago, there's a guy in our church. He was making some really bad decisions. He was about to ruin his marriage. He was about to ruin his relationship with his kids and there was an older guy in our church that hadn't been around very long, but he was in a house church with this young guy, and he found out about what was going on. So he called me up and he said, Dave, we need to go see this guy today. We, we have to have just kind of a come-to-Jesus talk with him. And so, you know, at the time, I was like 26 years old, and I thought, what do I know about any of this? But I'm along for the ride. And so the whole way over there, we're praying. We're like, God, would you please do a great work in this guy's life? Would you speak the truth in love? Would you give us what we need to say? And honestly, I was scared to death. I'm like, I don't know what to do in this moment. So he walked in this guy's house, and my, my friend who was older, 30 years older or so than I was, he, he walked in, and we sat down, and we sat at the table, no small talk, no hugs, no anything. My, my, my older friend looks at this young guy, and he just starts going at it. He said, hey, listen, you're on the verge of ruining your life. You're about to ruin your marriage. You're about to ruin the life of your children. He says, you're about to damage your relationship with Jesus, He said, you have two choices. One leads to death, sorrow, pain, destruction for everybody around you. He says, the other one leads to joy, fullness, and life. He says, don't be an idiot. Choose life. And I thought, man, I don't remember hearing anybody tell me about this in seminary. (laughs) I'm like, whoa, like, what's going to happen? And the guy at first was angry, and he pushed back and my, my, my friend said, I love you. He said, this is why I'm telling you the truth. He said, I love you. He says, this is the truth, this is the truth. And he kept going. And i never forget, we left that guy's house and we're driving in the car, it's kind of quiet. And I thought, man, that's not how I expected that to go. And so after a minute or so of silence, uh, I kind of break the ice and I say, hey, do you think you're maybe a little bit hard? <laughs> that's kind of how I opened. He said, no, he said that guy didn't need flowers and some fake encouragement. He said he needed someone who loved him enough to tell him the truth that no one else would tell him. What's so cool is 12 years later, that guy, he took, he took the right path. It was the hard words from a loving friend that woke him up and he made the right choice and it spared his marriage, it spared his relationship with his children, and God is doing an unbelievable work in that young dude's life. You know, we know this. We know this somewhere deep within us, but so often we get scared, don't we? We get scared, you know, our culture is constantly trying to pressure us. Our culture is going to say, hey, uh, the people around you can't take the unfiltered non-watered-down truth of the gospel. you got to soften it a little bit. you got to add some sugar on it. you got to make it a little more palatable. you got to do that. And Paul goes, no, hey, listen. He says, it is the truth of Jesus that got me in this mess, and it's the truth of Jesus that sets sinners free. And so I'm going to love these people enough to give them the whole truth. Mm. Guys, here's the reality. So often, in the name of love, we fail to give people the full truth. Ooh. So often we say things like, you know, I want to love that person well. But if we're really honest, we don't typically withhold gospel truth because we love people well. We typically withhold gospel truth in hopes that they'll love us. My prayer is that as an unhindered church rooted in the promises, anchored in community, willing to do whatever it needs to do, that we would speak the words of life, that we'd speak the words of truth, that we'd speak the gospel no matter what it calls us. Why? Because not only is it the thing that gets us in the mess sometimes, it gets us through it, but more than that, it sets people free. It sets people free. It is the word of God. It is the ways of God. In fact, we're going to spend the next 10 weeks talking about what that message is and how we share it. And so we're going we're to do more with that. But I want you to notice the unhindered reality of this church. Last but not least, number five, an unhindered church knows deep in its heart, knows deep in its heart that the story is not about us. So let's end where we started this morning, Verse 30. It says, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house, and he welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God, and he taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. I remember when I read the book of Acts for the first time as an adult, you know, not as a kid, not as a part of a class, when I just sat down and read it on my own. I got to the end of this, and I thought, my goodness, this can't be the end of the story. I thought, how is this the end? Like... Like it's a cliffhanger, it was like when I was a kid and I was sitting in the movie theater and I watched Back to the Future 2, if you've ever seen that movie, you get to the end, and it says, to be continued. Like, it doesn't finish the movie. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, you're going to end me? You're going to end with the cliffhanger? You get to the end of the book of Acts? And I remember reading it for the first time as an adult. And I went, are you kidding me? Like, what happens to Paul? Like, does he get out of prison? How does the trial go? Like, what unfolds? And the, the ending of this story used to drive me crazy until I realized it's the perfect ending for the story that's still being written on your lives. It's the perfect ending. See, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Luke knew that he didn't have to wrap up what happened with Paul because the story is never about Paul. The story of the book of Acts is about this beautiful, breathtaking reality that nothing on earth can stop what God has set in motion. The book of Acts is the story about how the Holy Spirit continues to do all of the work that Jesus started in his physical ministry on earth through ordinary people like you and I. And Luke ends the letter, he ends the story with this open-ended invitation not to confuse you, but to remind you, it's your turn next. Though what God started long ago, he's still writing and then just like Paul, each and every one of us will be footnotes in a much bigger story in the way that God the Father is drawing all of humanity back to himself, to ordinary people like you and I. In the book of Acts, it's this invitation. It's what we've been reading every single day. It's this invitation to raise our hands and say, God, here I am, an ordinary person. Here I am, a stay-at-home mom. Here I am, a dad out of work. Here I am, a college student that wants to make a difference on my campus. Here I am, a business person. Here I am, a mechanic. Here I am, a songwriter. Here I am, a person that wants to be used for great things. And I'm telling you, no matter what you give your life to, be reminded that the story is not about you. No matter how you give your time and your energy, that your time and your energy is not for you that God's writing a story and he invites us to be a part. Whenever we raise our hands, whenever we open our hearts, and say, God, use me. God delights in doing that. And what happens is the message of Jesus, the ways of Jesus, the work of Jesus moves forward into history unhindered. It's been such a, a crazy year. I think about this time last year, literally a year ago today, we were wrapping up our fast. It was an amazing moment. We gathered in the cannery. Tons of people were getting baptized. There was all this celebration. There's this anticipation that God, you know, we just had 700 churches in the city fasting. You're going to change this city by the end of 2020. You know, that, that was the thought a year ago today. The next night, we gathered in Nissan Stadium with hundreds of leaders that had been praying and fasting and leading their churches. And we got together with those leaders and we talked about all that God had done Marriages that had been saved, addictions that had been broken, people that had come to the Lord, miracles that had happened, vision that had been given. We're standing there and we're just testifying. And there's this sense of God, you're gonna do anything. You can do anything. As a Monday night. A few days later, I was, I was down in Orlando. I was speaking to a group of church leaders from all over the nation. And I began getting these text messages early in the morning. The text messages were kind of weird and frightening. They said, hey, are you okay? Are you okay? I'm like, what's going on? And I realized, while I was in Florida, here in Nashville, tornadoes had ripped through the city. Man, that's not how we expected our fast last year to end. I remember coming home from that conference. I wasn't even supposed to preach that Sunday. I changed my plans. like, hey, I've got to preach. I want to be with our church family. I remember showing up in the cannery that day. It was half full because so many of you were out in the city, volunteering, cleaning up, doing stuff. It was this weird day of both excitement and sorrow. Excitement because we knew God was using us. Sorrow because of the ways in which He is having to use us in the midst of the tornadoes. We had no idea that day that that'd be the last day that we would have been in our venues, at least for now. A few days later on a Thursday afternoon, COVID hits our city and things shut down. And I'm just telling you, none of us a year ago got to the end of our fast and thought, this is where we'd find ourselves. But here's what I want you to hear. Tornadoes can't stop what God is doing. Pandemics can't stop what God is doing. Social distancing cannot stop what God is doing. When ordinary people like you and I open our hearts and open our lives, when we say, God, would you anchor us in your promises? Would you draw us together in community? Lord, would you help us to do what only we can do? Would you help us to speak the truth? And God, would you remind us this was never about us in the first place. I go, where is God calling you to open up your life? Where is he using a man in chains to teach you what it looks like to live a life that's been set free? Guys, I have no idea what the rest of this year looks like. Uh, You know, I think after this past year, I've kind of decided I'm done making predictions. But what I know is wherever God finds a humble, willing person, the Spirit of God will keep writing the book of Acts. And the best is yet to come. And so wherever you find yourself this morning, wherever you are in your journey, I want to encourage you, if you have the courage, to lift your hands before the Lord, to stand up in your living room, to just kind of make a statement before the Lord. Hey, Lord, I want you to use me in ways you haven't used me. I want you to send me to places that you haven't sent me. I want you to use my mouth to speak. I want you to use my community to speak. I want you to use my life to write a song that will point the world to you. And so I just want to pray that over every one of you have the courage right now to raise your hand, to step up in your room, to fall down on your knees before the Lord, to call out on Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. I want to pray over every one of you. I just want to commission you. If you're around somebody right now in your house, your living room, that's on their knees or raising their hands, you put your hands on them. And pray over them as well. Father, in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we declare that the story is not finished. Lord, we declare that in the name of Jesus, 2020 and the beginning of 2021 have not been wasted years, but that, God, there are years when the kingdom of God is forcefully advanced. And God, I thank you for the way that you delight in using ordinary people to write extraordinary stories by the power of the Holy Spirit, but we know that the story is never about us in the first place. God, stir us up, raise us up, send us out. God, uses however you see fit. God, for those that are not yet followers of Jesus, God, before you bring us to our feet, Put us on our knees, put us on our face as sinners crying out that need mercy, that need salvation, God. Without your help, we're toast, and we know it. God, I pray that this week, hundreds of men and women would fall on their knees in salvation. Hundreds of men and women would go down in the waters of baptism and that, God, you would send them out in new ways, in new ways for your glory and your purposes, God. Thank you that we are not on the sidelines of the kingdom. Thank you that we are not just observers of what you're doing in the world, but we're participants. In the name of Jesus, we pray and give thanks. Amen. I love you so much, Ethos. We're going to worship, and then we're going we're to get in our homes. Uh, we're going to get together in our homes, and we're going to take communion together. So let's worship the Lord as we get ready to take communion.